Okay, so during the past month we've been looking at the book of Acts. Uh, we've been encouraging each other to read through Acts. Um, and we've been looking at the journey of uh, the disciples and those that followed Jesus. Um, and we've been learning about those that, that, that chose to accept Jesus and kind of what they did and how they took the message of Jesus around the world. Uh, and we read uh, that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And last week Steve uh, reminded us that the word they were preaching was Jesus. As the Gospel writer John puts it, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so they preached about the man, um, but they also preached about his death, and they preached about his resurrection. And the cross for the disciples and the first followers was essential. It was foundational to their message. It was what they built their message on. Paul himself wrote that we preach Christ crucified. And over the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at the cross of Jesus in our new series. And the series is called um, From the Cross. And we're going to be looking specifically at the words that Jesus spoke while he was on the cross. And um, I guess my prayer for us during this time and during this series is that the cross will become foundational for us. And that as we spend time looking at the cross and looking at the words that Jesus spoke, that that would go deep into us and that we would um, build our lives around that. And we've been encouraging each other, haven't we, to, to be bold and sharing the message with people. But we need to know what that message is. So before we start, let's, uh, let's open in prayer. Father, I pray that as we focus on the cross of Jesus, we would grow deeper with you. I pray that you would deepen our understanding of Jesus and that you would reveal your heart for us. Father, I pray you would excite us where we need to be excited and that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged. And Father, you would humble us where we need to be humbled. And Father, I pray um, that the cross of Jesus would be transformational to our lives as it has been for so many of us already. Amen. Amen. So there's going to be um, discussion guides to go along with this series um, for you to use in your life groups during the week. Um, if you're not in a life group, I would encourage you um, to join one because these talks and these sermons and the things that we do really come alive um, when we start to talk with each other about how we can apply it to our lives and we can get down to um, the specifics. So if you would like to join a life group, then please speak to, to Steve or I. Uh, after the service, and you can download um, the study guides that go with the series from the website under the, the podcast section. So we're going to look at the words that Jesus said. There were seven things that Jesus said on the cross, sometimes known as the seven sayings of Jesus or the seven prayers of Jesus. Um, and not all of the prayers are found in all of the Gospels. So we have four books that tell us about Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Um, and some sayings are in some and some are in others. And it's one of the reasons I'm so grateful that we've got four accounts of Jesus because we've got such a wide and varied picture that can teach us of him. Um, and this morning we're going to look at uh, Luke and what Luke says about Jesus on the cross. So if you've got your Bibles with you, um, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 23. If you're using your Bible on your phone or your iPad, please resist the urge to play Candy Crush for uh, at least 30 minutes. I know it's 
tricky. I know you might be on level 260, but come on, you can do it. Um, so Luke 23. And let's just remind ourselves a little bit um, of, of kind of what's happening here and what's going on. Um, we started this morning with um, communion, which is fantastic. And communion is when we remember the, the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And he'd shared this meal with them. He'd eaten and then he'd headed out to a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what it looks like today. And while he was there in the garden, he'd prayed to his father. And Jesus knew what he was about to face. He knew that he was heading to the cross. And he agonised with his father over it. He said, if this cup can be taken from me, but not, your, not my will, but yours. And he prayed. And he prayed several times through the night. And as he was praying... Um, and agonising with his father, his closest followers and his friends, the ones he'd shared the meal with, um, fell asleep. And then he was arrested in the middle of the night, and he was taken to the house of the high priest. And while he was there, he was kept under guard. But he wasn't just watched, he was beaten, and he was struck, and he was mocked. And they hit him, and they said, tell us who hit you prophesy if you can and he was treated cruelly all through the night and then at daybreak exhausted in pain sleep deprived he was taken by teachers of the law the ruling religious elite to Pilate and they lied about him and they tried to convince Pilate to crucify him and they tried to get Pilate to think that he was causing dissension and um, stirring up trouble. And Pilate could find no wrong, so he shipped him off to Herod. And then Herod further mocked and ridiculed him. He was flogged and he was beaten and he was made to wear a robe in a sort of mocking manner. If you're a king, put a robe on. They put thorns on his head as a pretend crown. And despite all this, they could find no reason to execute him. They could find um, no law that he'd broken that said that they should put him to death. But the people were adamant and they were fervent. And they shouted, crucify, crucify, crucify. And they caused such an uproar that, the, that Pilate gave in. He washed his hands. He said, I want no part of this, but if he's to be crucified, then so be it. And so his fate was decided, crucifixion, which was an extremely slow and painful way to die, specifically designed to cause agony and torture. The word excruciating that we know comes from crucifixion. Pain like the cross. And I don't want to go into the, the biology with you this morning of what happens on the cross because... I'm not trying to sicken you, but I just want us to understand what it was that Jesus committed to go through for us and that level of sacrifice. I think sometimes we're, um, we're guilty of sanitising the cross and making it um, more palatable for ourselves. You know, we wear it as a piece of jewellery or, um, we, you know, we use it as a logo or whatever and actually we forget the reality of the cross, that it was pain and it was death and it was ugly and it was hard. And so having suffered as much as he had, we read in Luke 23. And I'm going to read from verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, 
were led out to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of Jews, save yourself. There was a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. We'll just pause there. So according to Luke, the first words that Jesus spoke on the cross were, Father, forgive them. Considering all that he'd suffered to that point and being in excruciating pain, I mean, he could have prayed, Father, avenge me. Father, get them. Father, send your angels and deal with this. But he prayed, forgive them. To the disciples who had abandoned him in his hour of need and the one that had betrayed him, he prayed, forgive them. To the guards that mocked him and hit him and treated him so cruelly when they should have been watching over him, he prayed, forgive them. To the leaders that demanded his death, screaming, crucify, he prayed, forgive them. And to those he'd nailed, who had nailed him to the cross, he prayed, forgive them. You see, in Jesus' mind... There was no one who was a part of this account that was not deserving of forgiveness. So our challenge this morning then is, what can we learn from this type of forgiveness? And it's a big challenge, isn't it? (laughs) So the first thing that I want to talk about is the fact that Jesus was obedient See, the people that crucified Jesus, the people um, that put him on the cross, thought it was their idea. Their plan was to try and halt him in his tracks, to stop his ministry, to stop him from going on um, in the way that he was and taking people away from their religion. But Jesus had known that this was his fate from the beginning. Jesus always knew he was heading to the cross. He knew what his, father plan, his father's plan was for him. And in fact, God had been speaking about Jesus throughout history. You see, he'd given messages or uh, prophecies, if you will, to people that concerned his plan for salvation, that concerned the Messiah. And many of those are recorded in, in the Old Testament, as we have it. And during his time on earth, Jesus fulfilled over 300 of these prophecies. In his book, um, Science Speaks, Peter Stoner claims that the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of those prophecies is one in 100,000 trillion, which looks like that. I think that's 100,000 trillion. It's either 100,000 trillion or one quadrillion. Either way, it's a lot of zeros. But Jesus fulfilled over 300. He knew what his, father plan, his father's plan was for him. And many of the prophecies concerning Jesus' death are found in the book of Isaiah. Um, there's a particular chapter in Isaiah... Um, chapter 53, uh, that talks about specifically the things that he's going to suffer as a part of his death. 
And that section ends like this. It says, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. There's a lot of fancy words in that, but that last bit about intercession for the transgressors means that he will represent those that have done wrong to his father. So when he prays, Father, forgive them, that's exactly what he was doing. You see, Jesus' prayer for those that have caused him suffering demonstrates powerfully his willingness to fulfill what the Father had set out for him to do. Even as he hung dying on the cross, recalling the scriptures and the things that had been said about him, you can imagine it as a checklist being ticked off. I've been through this, I've been through this. Now I pray for them. Now I do what my Father has called me to do. Of course, it was echoed in Stephen's death that we talked about a few weeks ago, um, who, while he was being stoned, said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And, you know, just I was really challenged by this this week, <clears throat> and it just called into to mind my own commitment to God, my own commitment to fulfill the things that he's given for me to do. Am I this committed that when things are this hard, that I can still look to what God has asked me to do and do it? You know, there's certain things that are really easy about being a Christian. I love worshipping God. I can't sing, but I love worshipping God. I love fellowship with other Christians. I love serving people. But then there are things that are not so easy. You know, Jesus himself said that we should love our enemies and pray for those that persecute you. I mean, let it never be said that he didn't practice what he preached. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to pray for our enemies. And you might say, well, you know, I haven't got any enemies. I'm not a comic book hero. I haven't got any arch nemeses. But I guarantee there are people that are against you people that you find hard to get along with, people that seem to make your life more difficult, people that we'd rather just weren't involved in our lives. And Jesus says, no, we need to pray for those people. What was the result of Jesus' prayer? Well, a little while on, and we've talked about this a lot when we've looked at our Acts series, um, Peter was preaching in Jerusalem, and he was... Um, <clears throat> preaching to a lot of the people that were there when Jesus was being crucified. And we know that because it says, <clears throat> excuse me, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then a few verses down at 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. You see, Jesus' obedience to God led to the salvation of those people. And in fact, as we know, it was for all of us. I wonder what the result would be if we start praying for people that are against us. If we start praying for that boss that we hate or that neighbour that's so inconsiderate or that person at work that just seems out to get us or that family member that always seems to be there to cause trouble, what would happen? Would our attitude change? 
with theirs. And sometimes we need to act in a faith and obedience first before we see the results. So, the first challenge, I guess, if while I was listing those things, somebody popped into your mind, if a face came into your head, can I suggest that they may be somebody that you can be praying for? If no one popped into your head, then, wow, he must be really popular. <laughs> well done. Okay. What else can we learn? <clears throat> Jesus identified with people. <clears throat> One of the things that's really interesting about this passage uh, is it says that um, he said he prayed. He said, Father, forgive them. He prayed on behalf of them. Um, why is that interesting? Well, it's interesting because Jesus himself had the authority to forgive sins. He didn't need to pray to God for their forgiveness because he could forgive them himself. Let me prove it. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, we've got the story of the paralysed man. So this Jesus was uh, at the height of his ministry. He was very popular. Um, and some, uh, there, was a, there was a chap who was paralysed, very unfortunately. And his mates uh, decided to take him to Jesus to get him healed. They couldn't get near him because Jesus was so popular. So they did some creative engineering. Um, and they knocked a hole through the roof uh, and lowered him down. Uh, Jesus didn't seem to mind the hole, probably because it wasn't his house. Um, but as he came down, it says this, uh, and it's, it's in Luke chapter 5, verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who's this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he does it again later in Luke 7 with the, the, the woman that anointed his feet. Uh, he says, I, forg- I forgive your sin. Your sins are forgiven. And in fact, the fact that he could forgive sins is one of the ways in which he proved he was God. Because it, as it says, only God can forgive sins. So the fact that he said, I can forgive sins, was an indicator that he was God himself. So why then, on the cross, did he not say, I forgive you for this? Why pray to his Father instead? Well, some people have been quite clever and said, well, he wasn't on earth. You know, he said he has authority to forgive sins when he's on earth and on the cross he was raised up. But actually, I don't think it's to do with the fact that Jesus was raised up so much that he was brought low. That Jesus was no longer in a position of authority over them. You see, he'd given up his divine rights, he's given up his divinity in order to be a sacrifice for them. He'd given up that that made him above all people. Paul, uh, in his letter to Philippians, (coughs) puts it this way. And he's talking about Jesus here. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became uh, and by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus made him the same, himself the same as us in order to die for us. 
You know, we read earlier, didn't we, that the soldiers mocked him and said, save yourself if you can. If you're the king, save yourself. But Jesus' concern wasn't himself on the cross. Jesus' concern was us. Jesus didn't save himself because he was saving us. And so he prays on behalf of us. He identifies with us. He prays to the Father. So if Jesus was that concerned about our salvation in the midst of all his suffering and dying and pain and torment, whose salvation are we concerned about? Who were we praying to God on behalf of? So my second challenge then is that we need to pick someone who doesn't know God. Pick someone who's lost and not in relationship with him and we need to pray for them. We need to intercede on their behalf as Jesus does for us. And we need to pray for them every day. And if after a month they still don't know Jesus, we need to keep praying. Get your life group praying. Get other people involved. Pray for opportunities to speak to them. Intercede on their behalf. And it's interesting, you know, Jesus started this ministry on the cross of interceding for those um, on earth, and he's still doing that. In Hebrews 7 it says, Therefore he's able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. If Jesus is able to pray forgiveness for those that crucified him, how reassuring is it to know that he represents us to God? If Jesus is doing it, why aren't we? The final thing this morning is that Jesus knows what we need. See, Jesus prayed for forgiveness because it represents our greatest need as human beings. The thing that we need the most. Jesus had lived as one of us for... 33 years or so, he knew what we needed. The people of the day thought they needed a Messiah to free them from Roman rule. They thought they needed a military conqueror. People today think that they need um, wealth or perhaps celebrity. seems to be big on the agenda. They need to be famous. They need to be recognised. But Jesus didn't pray for any of those things. He didn't pray for prosperity. He didn't pray for wealth. He prayed for forgiveness. Why do we need forgiveness? We need forgiveness because everything is not as it should be. We're made to be in a relationship with the Creator. And it's our sinful nature that prevents us from being in that relationship. You know, he prayed, didn't he? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that seems like a stretch to me. It's very hard to accidentally crucify someone. But he meant that they were unaware of the enormity of their actions. The result of their sin. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And we need to make sure this morning that we're not blind to our own need for forgiveness. Our own need to repent and our own need to make sure that we are right before God. And perhaps this morning you don't believe that there's anything that you need to be forgiven for. You think, well, I'm okay. I'm all right. There's nothing in my life. 
But Paul also wrote that we've all sinned and all fallen short of God's glory. And unfortunately, God doesn't lower his standards of righteousness to our level of ignorance. Even when we're not aware, God is aware. But it's okay. Because if we confess our sins, it says that he's faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will make us right before God. He will give us the thing that we need most in this life, which is a relationship with him. And if we are to learn to be as forgiving as Jesus was on the cross, um, then we need to make sure that we are forgiven ourselves. So perhaps this morning you're like those on the cross, unaware that you're rejecting Jesus, unaware that it's God that you need and a relationship with him that you need. There's two things that I want to encourage you with. Firstly, Jesus is interceding for you. Jesus is speaking to the Father on your behalf. Remember that verse you read that says, Therefore he's able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, and he's still praying that prayer for us. But it's up to us to accept that. And secondly, if you're ready to admit that your sin has kept you from God, then forgiveness is here and is available to us, just as it was available to those that crucified Jesus. There's nothing that we've done that is that evil that it can prevent us from having a relationship with God. Nothing. If we repent and turn away from that life and come to him. So, I think it would be good to close in prayer. So if we just close our eyes just as a mark of respect. And perhaps you've never been to the cross before. A lot of us here this morning are Christians and we've been to the cross many times and we've learned of Jesus and his forgiveness. But perhaps this was the first time for you today. And if this morning something that I've said has struck a chord or just resonated with something in your heart, and you think you might be a relation, ready for a relationship with God, then I'm going to pray a, a very simple prayer. And what I would like is for you to pray that prayer yourselves in your heart. And even if you've been a Christian a long time, it's always good to pray this prayer and remind ourselves that we need him and we need his forgiveness. Okay. Father God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. I accept the forgiveness that is offered to me by the cross of Jesus. I want you to know that I want a relationship with you and I want to know you more. Father, help me to sin no more. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, then I would very much like to have a conversation with you after the service. Please come and find me and I'd like to pray with you. Um, and perhaps give you some literature and stuff as well. And don't forget the challenge for us as well is that we make sure that we are interceding for those of us, those that we know that don't know God, that we are praying for them, that we are bringing them to him for the sake of their salvation. Okay, let's worship God. <laughs>